Good morning, everyone. Really grateful for the opportunity to uh, be able to stand before you and share God's word this morning. We are relatively new to Midland. Several folks have asked us, uh, well, are you adjusting to life in Midland? And I would have to say yes. Uh, the best part has been looking 10 years older. That's been one of the best parts about being here. I'm 41. I'm getting senior discounts all over town. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm actually 57, uh, but I'll, I'll take that you know discount at Murray's on a burger every once in a while uh, for sure. Alan reached out to me. It's been about two months ago now, or so, I guess, and asked if I would speak uh, on this Sunday morning. And he said, you know, just what's that one text that keeps you up at night? And I said, well, uh, I got to preach on Galatians 5. It just tugs at my heart. And I really want us to focus on that this morning. And so let's just begin straight away in the Word of God. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now to really understand this text, we need to see how Galatians 5 is situated in the greater context of the story of God. So where should we begin? Well, I often find it's best to begin at the beginning. And so I'm going to ask you to please explore with me a few verses from the book of Genesis, chapters 2 and 3. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you'll surely die. So let's pause there for just a moment and take a closer look. God places humankind in the garden for two reasons. The first is to work the garden. And I want you to notice that work is an action verb and it is not a result of the fall. Okay? The second reason God placed humankind in the garden is to take care of it. So to work the garden and to take care of the garden. And as a result, man could be nourished by the fruit of the garden, especially the fruit from the tree of life, which has nothing to do with man's labor, but everything to do with God's eternal nature. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the tree of life. We learn from Scripture it's, it's a powerful source of healing and strength. Notice these words after the fall of mankind. 
Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. We, we also know this tree is present at the beginning as we just read in Genesis 3 and it will be present at the end and beyond in that its healing powers are eternal. Notice the following text from Revelation 22. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of a great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And so much has happened between the tree of life in the garden and the tree of life in the new Jerusalem. And in his book, between two trees. This is a book that I did not know existed before this phrase actually popped into my head, this between two trees, but I'm super grateful for this book. It's written by Shane Wood, and he describes it this way. And so the Bible ends where it begins, in a garden paradise. God with humanity, enjoying the shade of the tree of life, the problem is life isn't lived under Eden's tree of life or beneath the healing leaves of the tree in the New Jerusalem. Life is lived between these two trees. And between these two trees, life is hard. Can I get an oh yeah? A church life between the trees, it stretches us. Sometimes to the point of, of almost breaking, it, it presses us down. Sometimes to the point of crushing. Life sometimes causes us to cry out to God, God, God are, you, are you there? Lord, have you forgotten me? Is anybody there? Is anybody listening? Between the two trees... Life is hard. But if we'll make a subtle shift in our understanding of life between two trees, the tree of life in the original garden of God and the tree of life in the future city of God, then instead of being consumed by the hardness of life, we are empowered by the holiness of God to reframe our purpose in life and the hope and purpose that we can then legitimately offer to others. So let's take a closer look at this tree of life.
Let's sit for just a few moments this morning under its canopy and let's marvel at what we find there. Let's taste its fruit and let's see that it is good and let's share it with others as we partner with God to restore his creation. A creation that was disrupted by a serpent who was biding his time and waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike. We read the following in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> You're not going to die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened and you'll be like God and you'll know good from evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it and the eyes of both of them were opened. Now church, many of us have read this passage so many times, it's now easy for us to read it and not be moved by it. And yet, this episode reveals the devastating impact of what happens when we break covenant with God. Shane Wood describes it this way. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they were not just merely disobeying a command, although indeed they were. They were not just committing an indiscretion, although indeed they did, the action was more dire, the result more severe. For sin is willful union with something or someone other than God. The problem of Genesis 3 wasn't only an infraction of the law. It was far worse. Humanity became one flesh with death. Now, the contrast here, I think, is pretty evident. When we compare God's intentions with humanity's disobedience, notice these two passages. The first is Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. This is before the fall. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for God took her out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. But just before the fall, and then right at the moment of the fall, we read this. When the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, she took it, she ate it, she gave some to her husband who was with her, he ate it, and then the eyes of both of them were open. I want you to notice a few key words here between those two passages. Do you see the word husband and wife become united? See, now we're a plurality 
were stronger together. They, that's the two of them, became one. We see unity in the family. But I want you to notice what happens right at the moment of the fall and right after. Do you notice that she, as the individual, took, gave to him and he ate? Do you see the difference? And then what happens next? Their eyes were opened to something different. To what exactly were their eyes open? They were open to something other than what God intended. And the results when this happened were immediate. They experience shame. Genesis 3:7. They shift the blame. Genesis 3:12 and 13. Adam even blames God. Remember this woman you gave me? Remember that? And then nothing is the same. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the present. So from that moment on, humankind partnered with death. And we have fully struggled to understand and live out our purpose on this earth ever since. Author Michael Heiser in The Unseen Realm notes, All humans are divine imagers, but in our fallen condition, we don't often image God as we are able and as he intended Church, if I had a year to preach on this, I still could not completely plumb the depths of all that happens in this turn of events. But I impress on you this morning to grasp this one key truth with me. The world God intended is not the world we live in, but the world we live in provides opportunities to restore the world God intended. I'm going to read that one more time. The world God intended is not the world we live in, but the world we live in provides opportunities to restore the world God intended. I love insight that Peter Steinke brings in a book called A Door Set Open. He writes, the central point of Easter is that God has set in place his plan that all things will be put right, set free, and remade we who hear the good news are invited to be contributors and designers of a new creation. So here's the question I want to process with you this morning. How do we do that? How are we contributors, co-designers of a new creation? How do we help restore the world that God intended? And, and I believe the answer is twofold. I believe we work the garden of God and we take care of the garden of God. What do I mean by that? Well, let's dig a little bit deeper. Do you remember what the trees in the garden produced? Anybody? Fruit. Yeah, fruit. Uh, from Genesis 2.9, we read earlier, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So God made trees that were beautiful. It's a reflection of his nature, of his glory. But he also made trees that produced fruit. And it's not just fruit that's edible, but it's, it's food that's good to eat, food that's life-giving, food that's fully from God, 
but on trees that were expected to be tended and harvested by man. So remember, humankind was placed in the garden to work the garden and to take care of it. That's God's intention. And you know what? I don't think there's anything in Scripture that, that teaches that God's intention has changed. Man is cursed because of his choices, a curse that was reversed through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, praise God. But man's curse did not change God's intention, which in a nutshell is this. Wherever you are, whatever context you find yourself in, work to take care of what God has given you. Work to take care of what God has given you. Children, home, work, school, walking down the street, wherever you are, whatever your circle of influence, work to take care of what God has given you. And you might think, well, that kind of sounds Old Testament-ish. I'm not really sure if that applies to us today. Well, you might want to rethink that. Consider these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for, say that line with me, works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just look at those words. Think about God's original intentions, equipped for works of service. What do you know? That's just working for and taking care of others. Is it any wonder that Jesus refers to himself this way then in John chapter 15 and verse 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Or apart from me, you can do nothing. And that brings me to the heart of the matter. When we work to take care of what God has given us, something amazing begins to happen. We begin to bear fruit. But it's not just any fruit. I'm talking about the kind of fruit that is manifested by the very tree of life that we read about in Genesis chapter 3 and in Revelation 22. Fruit that heals the nations. Fruit that is from the Holy Spirit of God. Let's hear the words of Galatians 5 once again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These attributes, these, these characteristics, this fruit. How many of you describe the places where you work using phrases like this? Oh, my coworkers are so kind. They're so gentle. They're so loving. My boss has so much self-control. How about when you talk about your spouse? Oh, my wife is so gentle. 
or my husband is so kind. How about when you talk about your children? How about when you talk about your church? Do you see these characteristics in yourself when you take a really good and long look in the mirror? As covenant people of God, we should see and we should bear this fruit. Because if we don't, it means that we've fallen into the exact same trap that Adam and Eve fell into. That means that we're getting our nourishment from the wrong source. And you want to know what happens when we covenant with death? I call it the great unraveling. That's, that's the phenomenon of covenanting with death. It's the great unraveling. Paul describes it this way when he writes to his young apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, I just got to ask you this morning, any of this look familiar? Any of this sound familiar? Now, Paul's talking in greater eschatological terms here. That's a really, really big word that just means ends of time or the end of time. But I think it can also apply at the end of a culture or a moment of great demise or unraveling. Take just a moment and note as we put the Galatians 5 passage up beside the passage we just read. Process the difference between these two scriptures. Quite frankly, it's, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly sobering. In Galatians 5, Paul describes the outcomes of those who work and take care of what God has given them, not in the works-based salvation sense, but in the, in the what-pleases-God sense. But in 2 Timothy 3, Paul describes the outcomes of partnering with death. And, and here's something I want you to notice. Do you notice that list is twice as long? I think it's a testimony to how devastating partnering with death actually is, and that's why it's critical as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we work to take care of what God has given us. Does this fruit of the Spirit not describe the very nature of Jesus himself? And, and how, are these, how are these gifts, this fruit, how are they manifested? God sends Jesus to earth and he makes him a son of Adam, Adam, 
And ultimately, between the two trees, he allows his son to be raised up on another tree. But this is a tree of death. However, it becomes the instrument through which we also can be reconciled back to God's original intention. Paul describes the scope of the distance between the two trees and the turning point that gives us the hope and purpose, God's ultimate plan this way in Romans 6, 23, but the wages of sin is death, but, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more observation from Shane Wood, and then we'll close. He writes, the wages of sin, or the essential end of sin, or the necessary conclusion of sin, is indeed death, because sin is union with death. Sin isn't just a debt for which death is the consequence. Sin is willful union with death, ingestion of death, de formation. And thus Christ's cross can't only be transferring humanity from the status of guilty of a damnable offense to innocent of all charges. Sin is uncreation, becoming one flesh with death, which limits our capacity to unite with others, with God, and even ourselves. Humanity created in the image of God now marred with death sting. Thus, Since the problem of Eden is far more pervasive than first thought, so too must be the solution. And we see the contrast, right? When we look at Adam and Eve's choices and when we look at the choices of our Lord and Savior Jesus, because you see Adam and Eve chose disobedience. And the result was death, but Jesus chooses obedience, and the result is life. And just like with Adam and Eve, when they made their choice, the results were immediate. When Jesus made his choice, the results were also immediate, because now, brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are free from shame. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we no longer carry the blame. Galatians 3.24, and nothing is the same. And that's true from the moment Jesus stepped out of that tomb all the way through eternity. And so, church, here's my charge to you today. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what context you are in, no matter your circle of influence, partner with God. Work to take care of what he has given you. If we commit to that, then the fruit will come. We will be believers and an entire church like the list that you see on your left. And I can't think of any better way to be described. Can you? Man, those folks at the Golf Course Road Church, they, they're some of the kindest people I've ever met. You would not believe how patient they were with me when I was going through fill in the blank, whatever it was. 
They're so loving. There's a gentleness in that church. I can't even really find the words to describe it. Can you envision being that kind of church? And marveling as the fruit of God grows in this place. If you are so tired (laughs) of carrying a life of death around and you want to be set free today, there, I know, countless people in this room that would love to have a conversation with you. I'm going to be right down front, even as we get ready to sing this song. I'm sure a couple of our shepherds will join us there. They would love to have a conversation with you if you're just tired of carrying the weight. And I want to encourage you this morning, be baptized, have those sins washed away, be made new in Christ, even before you leave here today, and be in that place where you can work and take care of what God has given you. Let's stand together. Let's sing together.